everybody, and uh, welcome to Strangely Enough, episode four, uh, Strangely Enough. And my name is Richard, and I'm your host. My co-host, Bill, is still not with us. Uh, he just really does not have the good computer or internet karma. Uh, he, he made a phone call to ask customer service at Yahoo a question, and they cut his DSL off. And now, this, I would... You know, I would think that this would be uh, probably something that uh, he should have took care of, but it's not that way because old Bill, he he's he's pretty well healed. So, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! But I will tell you that uh, he found out that he was on Yahoo DSL, and uh, for twenty dollars cheaper a month, he can go with another company. Uh, it seems like they're gouging a little bit. I myself hate Windows because this is the second time I'm re- recording this podcast today. Um, unfortunately, I'm not set up to uh, record on one of my Linux boxes, or I'd be doing that. I normally record on my Linux, Linux boxes uh, because they're far more stable and work a lot better. Okay, so uh, I'm sorry about us being a little bit late. I meant to have this thing out Sunday, but uh, it just didn't work out that way. So let's dive into uh, our first item uh, from Reuters. It appears that Friday the 13th is not more unlucky than any other Friday. Dutch statisticians have established that Friday the 13th, a date regarded in many countries as inauspicious, is actually safer than the average Friday. A study published on Thursday by the Dutch Center for Insurance Statistics, CVS, um, oh well, showed that fewer accidents and reports of fires and theft occur when the 13th of the month falls on a Friday. I find it hard to believe that it is because people are preventatively more careful or just stay home, but statistically speaking, driving is a little bit safer on Friday the 13th, CVS statistician Alex Hohen told the Verzekard Insurance Magazine. In the last two years, Dutch insurers received reports of an average of 7,800 traffic accidents each Friday. The CVS study said the... uh, Average figure when the 13th fell on a Friday dropped to 7,500. There were also fewer accidents of fire and theft, although the average value of the losses on Friday the 13th were slightly higher. So there you go. You know, every Friday the 13th, I got superstitious people all around me, and I keep having to tell them there are so many things that go back to Friday the 13th. The one that I hold to is uh, the uh, story that the uh, Pope uh, decided to shut down the Knights Templar with uh, extreme prejudice on Friday the 13th. Y'all go look it up. Okay, uh, also from Reuters, a man in Singapore gets jail time and a caning. For sniffing armpits. You got it. Sniffing armpits in Singapore. That's some of that Asian stuff that uh, uh, we hear so much about. 
A man in Singapore with a penchant for sniffing women's armpits was sentenced to 14 years in jail and 18 strokes of cane for molesting his victims, a local newspaper reported Friday. The 36-year-old, who the Straits Times said was mentally unstable and previous had previous convictions for drug and sex-related offenses, he molested 23 women over the course of 15 months, smelling their armpits and touching them in lifts, staircase landings, and their homes. Well, let me tell you, if uh, I was a female and there was a potential armpit sniffer near me, I wouldn't let, her, let him in the house. The paper said, He was caught after a housewife reported him to the police. The court meted out the jail term, normally reserved for hardcore criminals, saying the man was likely to commit crimes again, the paper reported. Caning on the buttocks is an additional punishment for male criminals in Singapore for offenses ranging from vandalism to illegal possession of drugs and rape. Well, there you go. You know, I remember not too many years ago when... Uh, one of these kids that likes to go on trips to foreign and exotic places vandalized something over there in Singapore, and uh, they whooped him with a cane, and everybody was upset. But if his mom and daddy had been whooping him at home, he wouldn't have had that problem. Also, from Reuters, it appears that the leader of a body parts ring apologizes in court. Uh, a New Jersey dentist behind a scheme to steal body parts from corpses, including that of British journalist Alistair Cook, faced relatives of the dead of the dead in court on Thursday and apologized for the anguish he caused. Now, before we get too far into this, I don't know where Alistair Cook comes into it, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Michael Mastro Marino. 44, in March, admitted to leading a $4.6 million operation that stole body parts from funeral homes in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. The ring dismembered more than 1,000 cadavers in unsanitary conditions and sold parts to doctors who transplanted them into patients. Mastro, Mastro Marino has pleaded guilty to body stealing, reckless endangerment, and enterprise corruption. I have no idea what that one is. He faces 18 to 54 years in prison and was due to be sentenced on June 27th. I am truly sorry for the pain that I have caused, Mastro Marino said, turning to face five people who were in court to deliver statements. May God have mercy on my soul. Speaking outside the courtroom, relatives called his words hollow and urged State Supreme Court Judge John Walsh, with a name like that, he's not likely to get him off easy, to put him in prison for the rest of his life. I felt like he had to say that I wasn't from, it wasn't from his heart said Anthony Dumain, 43, whose father, Thomas, had his body desecrated by Mastro Marino's ring in 2003. 
What people do for greed is unimaginable, said Karen Del, Del Rey. Her father, James Thornton, had body parts removed in 2004. One statement came from a recipient of the parts. The disgust factor is enormous, said Stephanie Berardino, 36, who underwent periodontal surgery throughout her mouth using tissue and bone implants from Master Marino's cadavers. As part of the scheme, a team of so-called cutters removed bones, skin, and tendons in an unsanitary embalming room, prosecutors said. There are three co-defendants, one pleaded guilty, another was convicted at trial, and the third was awaiting trial. Cook, the former newspaper foreign correspondent and host of the PBS television show Masterpiece Theater and BBC's Letter from America, died in 2004 at age 95 in New York City. Once again, I don't know how that Alistair Cook come into it. Uh, I didn't hear any of his statements in that, but we'll move on. Well, it seems that poor old Pluto has taken another hit. Yeah, poor old Pluto, a few years ago, it was demoted from a planet to a planetoid or a dwarf planet. Well, here we go again. Pluto has been demoted from planet status, or that was de demoted from planet status in 2006. Got a consolation prize Wednesday, if you call it that. It, and other dwarf planets like it, will be called Plutoids. You got it, friends and neighbors, Plutoids. The International Astronomical Union said in a statement that its executive committee meeting at its executive committee meeting in Oslo, Norway, that they uh, had decided on the term. Plutoids will be defined as a celestial body in orbit around the sun further away than Neptune. They must have non-spherical shape or near spherical shape and must not have swept up other smaller objects in their orbits. The organization which names newly discovered planets and other celestial bodies said, The two known and named Plutoids are Pluto and Eris, but astronomers expect to find more. Another dwarf planet, Ceres, does not merit a Plutoid designation because it is in the asteroid belt in in between Mars and Jupiter. Well, you know what? I think we need to go out and round ourselves up a, a class action suit, a discrimination against poor Ceres. You know, it deserves it just as much as any of the rest. Okay, some of y'all are old enough to remember this gal. Some of you aren't. Some of you may have uh, studied up on what was going on with them. Uh, there's a lady out there. Well, lady's not exactly the term I would use. Uh, Susan Atkins. And uh, y'all are really going to get a kick out of this. This comes from CNN.com. Former Manson family member Susan Atkins has requested a compassionate release from prison because she has less than six months to live. A California prison spokesman said on Friday. 
Atkins, 60, was convicted in the 1969 slayings of actress Sharon Tate and four others. She had been incarcerated at the California Institute for Women in Corona, California. But Atkins, the state's longest-serving female inmate, has been hospitalized since March 18th and is listed in serious condition, State Corrections Department spokeswoman Terry Thornton said. Because of privacy laws, Thornton would not disclose the nature of Atkins' illness. Atkins' husband and attorney, John Whitehouse, was quoted as saying she has been uh, diagnosed with, a terminal, with terminal brain cancer, according to a blog called Manson Family Today. She also has had a leg amputated, the Los Angeles Times reported Friday, citing sources close to the case. The compassionate release request has been approved by the prison, which conducted an evaluation and is under corrections department review, Thornton said. If the department approves, the Board of Parole hearings and the sentencing court in Los Angeles also must sign off on the request. There is no timeline for a decision to be made, Thornton said. Atkins known within the Manson family as Sadie Mae Glutz, has been in prison since 1971 and has been denied parole 11 times. Well, good. According to historical accounts of the murders, Atkins stabbed Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, and scrawled the word pig in blood on the door of the home the actress shared with director Roman Polanski. Her husband, and uh, I be—I don't know if y'all have seen some of Roman's films, but I'd, I'd be a little twisted too. Uh, it goes—I've seen uh, Red Books where it went into deeper detail. Not only did they kill Sharon Tate and the other four people when they were killing Sharon Tate, they took a fork, stuck it in her stomach, watched it wiggle around as the baby died. But back to the article. I don't want to seem uh, like a heartless creature, but in all my years, I never considered this would happen. Deborah Tate, the actress's sister, told the Riverside Press Enterprise. She showed no compassion. She told my sister that she would slit her throat, that she didn't care for her or her unborn baby, Tate added. Sharon Tate and three house guests were slain on August in August of 1969 by killers who burst into the Benedict Canyon home, a teenager was visiting the home's caretaker in his cottage on the property and was also killed. The following night, uh, Lino and Rosemary LaBianco were slain in their home in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. The two-day crime spree sent a shockwave throughout Los Angeles. All of the killers remained behind bars. Atkins also was convicted of an earlier murder of music teacher Gary Hinman. Atkins, like Manson, received a death sentence, and the punishment was changed to life in prison when the California Supreme Court ruled the state's death penalty was unconstitutional in 1972. 
you know what? That really irritates me because it might be unconstitutional, but uh, it'd have been a whole lot better than what she did to them people. Vincent Bugliosi, who prosecuted Atkins, told the Los Angeles Times that she has paid substantially, though not completely, for her horrendous crimes. Paying completely would mean imposing the death penalty. I like old Vincent. He wrote the book Helter Skelter, you know. But he told the paper, given her terminal illness, I don't have an objection to her being released. According to her website, Atkins is a born-again Christian <laughs> who, during her incarceration, has worked at the AIDS at Risk Youth. Excuse me. Has worked to aid at-risk youth, victims of violent crimes, and homeless children. Well, that makes it all okay. Uh, last month, authorities dug for uh, buried bodies at the Inyo County, California ranch where Manson and his followers once lived. After police became aware that that testing had indicated humans might be buried there. Nothing was found, police said. Well, you know, old uh, <laughs> Ms. Atkins, you know, that's another another example of uh, God must live in jail because everybody seems to find him there. And, uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I do all this good work. Poor pitiful me. Still doesn't bring back Sharon Tate. Uh, you know, since then, they've knocked down the house. There's a couple of houses built closely. And uh hadn't been too terribly long ago that the guys from over at Ghost, uh, uh, Oh, shoot, Taps. The guys over at Taps uh, went out there and spent some time out there. Uh, I'd look up that episode. It was kind of interesting. The next article we have is, uh, <laughs> oh, y'all going to love this. Frank Keyes Jr. faces up to 40 years in prison after he was found cruising down the highway with more than 200 grams of heroin in the diaper he was wearing, federal officials said. Keyes, 38, of New Orleans, was charged Friday by a federal grand jury. He got in trouble on June 3rd in the St. John the Baptist Parish, north of New Orleans, where sheriff's deputies pulled over the car he was in for a traffic violation, according to court documents. The deputies and Drug Enforcement Agency special agents got permission to search the car. And a drug-sniffing dog alerted them to the car's passenger side. The occupants were ordered out of the car and patted down. During the pat-down, and I quote, officers felt a large, hard object in the pants area of keys. Well, you know, sometimes you're just really happy to see the police. According to the news release from the U.S. Attorney General's office, Keyes told officers he was wearing a diaper, and when they asked if there was anything in the diaper, he shook his head affirmatively. 
I am not sticking my hand in a diaper, especially if someone tells me there's something in it. I'm sorry. Officers then removed a package containing the 257 grams of heroin from the diaper. They were headed for a big party. It must have been kind of kinky. A man was wearing a diaper. Next, we have news from Canab, Utah. Now, I found this one kind of interesting. A ban on bikinis at the city pool is expected to be revised, ending a short-lived prohibition on the popular two-piece pool attire. But that does not mean that lifting the G rating is going to lead to poolside G-strings. Now, we're talking about Utah, y'all. My recommendation is going to be no thongs and no string bikinis, said City Councilwoman Nana Laycook, who called the original dress code an oversight. Well, let me tell you, I've looked up, I went and looked up a picture of this gal. She's a, y'all bear in mind that she's one of them gals that when she hit 30, she cut all her hair off and started dressing like a man. Uh... I continue. Lake Cook said that the policy will probably be revised at the council's meeting on June 24th, bringing KNAB back in line with city pools, even in the state's most conservative communities. We were so engrossed with the safety and health issues, we overlooked the wording. Yeah, I know people that get strangled regularly with bikinis. I mean, that'll kill you in a heartbeat. I myself would think ban female swimwear altogether. Uh, Bikinis that don't reveal too much will be allowed, as well as Speedos. Remember I told you, she's one of them gals that cut her hair off and started dressing like a man. Uh, For men, when the new public pool known as the Cowboy Watering Hole, opens July the 4th in the community just north of the Arizona state line. Laycook said council members discussed revising the policy Tuesday night. She does not expect any problems making the change, but the publicity that the ban received may linger for the city like a bad sunburn. The restrictions were not popular. Even in the community where the council passed the resolution in 2006 to favor the natural family consisting of a working husband, a stay-at-home mom, wife, and a full quiver of children. A full quiver. Like him Osmonds. Victor Cooper, owner of the Rockin' V Cafe, Cafe, said customers in the restaurant joked about the band and expected them to be glad when it was lifted. They reacted to the band with comical disbelief more than anything else, Cooper said. Okay, well, you know, it is Utah. I keep telling y'all, boys and girls, it's Utah. However, we have another item from... uh, AP, kind of along those lines. Man gets ticket for going topless in public. 
Oh, yes. For only the third time in five years, Eastern police have ticketed someone for going topless in public. Sean Cephas, 18 years old, was cited June 4th when police say he was spotted without a shirt on South Street near Hanson Street. He was also cited for failing to obey a lawful order to stop for the police. A town ordinance adopted in 1974 forbids anyone from going topless in public buildings or on public streets and sidewalks. Possible penalties are a fine of up to $100 and up to 10 days in jail. Mm-hmm. Criminal nakedness. Eastern Police Lieutenant Gregory Wright said people without shirts are considered a public nuisance. He said three citations have been issued since 2003. Well, this is in Maryland, y'all. Eastern Maryland. Let me tell you about public nuisances here just outside of Dallas, Texas. We have people who don't wear belts, so their pants are around their knees. Uh, we have cars that bounce up and down as they're going down the road because... Uh, the audio is so loud, and you can hear them coming 18 blocks away. Uh, you know, even a woman with a shirt off don't is not as much of a nuisance to me as that. In fact, I would invite it. Our next item is about a lucky young woman. No one quite understands the term striking it lucky better than 16-year-old Brianna Helsel. The Michigan teen survived being struck by lightning and went on to win $20 in the lottery the next day. Helsel was at her home in Blanchard, about 50 miles northeast of Grand Rapids, watching thunderstorms roll by on June 6th when she noticed rain entering one of the kitchen windows. She went to close the window and the lightning came through and hit her, her mother Linda Johnson told. The daily, uh, yeah, the daily news of Greenville. We think it must have hit the house or something. Well, it hit something. Helsel struggled to describe the sensation she felt when the electricity passed through her body. It felt like it felt like when your foot falls asleep. She said. Helsel said, she saw the electricity shoot out of her fingers and into the overhead lights immediately knocking out the house's power. At first, the teenager didn't want to be checked out at the hospital, but when she started complaining about a tingling sensation in her arm, she and her mother drove through the rain to get to the Spectrum Health Kelsey Hospital in Lakeview. Helsel was checked out, and the only signs of the lightning strike were some... Uh, some of her fingertips were dark, had uh, darkened and on her right hand and a shaking arm from damaged muscles that will require some therapy. A full recovery is expected. Everyone said, I'm really lucky, she said. Hospital employees suggested that Helsel was on such a lucky streak, she should immediately play the lottery. She's too young, so her mother went the next day and bought a Michigan lottery ticket for her. And we won $20, Johnson said, laughing. 
What a way to start the summer. Well, you know what? That right there pretty much uh, pretty much covers it. I tell you what. Now me, I could be I could be uh, I could catch a cold and and end up in the hospital and these people get hit by lightning and just keep on going. She's a very lucky young lady she is. Brianna, if you're listening out there, we hope you we wish you a speedy recovery. We'd like to hear more about what's going on with you. Okay, we're probably going to go a minute or two long here because I got two more items. Uh, one, yeah, this comes from Live Science. One horned deer looks like the mythical unicorn. A deer with a single horn in the center of its head, much like the fabled mythical unicorn, has been spotted in a nature preserve in Italy, park officials said Wednesday. This is a fantasy becoming reality, Gilberto Tozzi, director of the Center of Nature Sciences in Prato, told the Associated Press. The unicorn has always been a mythical animal. The one-year-old roe deer, nicknamed what else, unicorn, was born in captivity in the research center's park in the Tuscan town of Prato, near Florence. Tozzi said, yeah, I guess he did. He is believed to have been born with a genetic flaw. His twin has two horns, calling it the first time he has seen such a case. Tozzi said, such anomalies among deer may have inspired the myth of the unicorn. The unicorn, a horse-like creature with magical healing powers, has appeared in legends and stories throughout history. From ancient and medieval text to the adventures of Harry Potter. Y'all know Harry. This shows that even in past times, there could have been animals with this anomaly. He said by telephone, It's not like they dreamed it up. Single-horned deer are rare, but not unheard of. But even more unusual is the central position of the horn, experts said. Generally, the horn is on one side of the head or the other, rather than being in the center. This looks like a complex case, said Fulvio Fraticelli, scientific director of Rome Zoo. He said the position of the horn could also be the result of a trauma early in the animal's life. Other mammals are believed to have contributed to the myth of unicorn, including the narwhal, a whale with a long spiral tusk. Well, yeah, the narwhal. I don't know how it'd inspire a, a... You know, I've seen pictures of these things. They don't really look like horses. Oh, well. And last but not least, a flying saucer is in the works. This also from Live Science, uh, but it didn't come from space. It came from Florida. Sue Brother Roy, an engineer, engineering professor at the University of Florida, is trying to patent his design for a circular spinning aircraft he dubs the Weave, W-E-A-V. Uh, short for Wingless Electromagnetic Air Vehicle. The suggested prototype offers several advantages. It can hover and take off vertically with no moving parts. The weave should be markedly re reliable 
And though his battery-powered model is only six inches across, Roy thinks a longer, larger craft is possible. Now, Roy applied his experience doing U.S. Air Force-funded plasma research to develop the propulsion system devoid of typical aircraft parts such as propellers, engines, and engines. Here's how it works. Electrodes lining the vehicle surface ionize the surrounding air. This creates plasma on the vehicle's exterior. An electrical current sent through this plasma generates a force that not only produces the necessary lift and momentum, it also stabilizes the vehicle in windy conditions. Looking like a flying bunt pan, and those of you who aren't familiar with a bunt pan, go ask your wife. The weave design is partially hollow and continuously curved. This larger surface area improves lift and control. Besides providing surveillance on Earth, Roy also envisions the craft in other atmospheres, such as that of Titan, or Saturn's moon Titan, where high air density and low gravity would be favorable to saucer flight. But the path from concept to production may not be smooth. Flying in Earth's air requires a thrust at least ten times greater than in outer space, where drag and gravity are lower, and the plasma necessary to fly also obstructs wave transmission used for communicating with the remote source. This doesn't discourage Roy. Of course, the risk is huge, but so is the payoff, he said. If successful... We will have an aircraft, a saucer, and a helicopter all in one embodiment. Well, there you go. You know, I try not to get too uh, philosophical or uh, too uh, scientific on things like this, but you know what? The uh, ion, ion, ion drives that they're using to propel some of the uh, deep space space spacecraft out of NASA nowadays uh, don't produce enough propulsion to even lift the vehicle off the ground of uh, any size at all. So this may uh, may actually work in the long run outside the Earth's atmosphere, or they may make it strong enough for it to work inside. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. And uh, uh, once again, check with us next week. We'll have you some new stuff. If you have any comments, suggestions, input, feedback, give me a, throw me a line at Richard uh, Richard Se at BlackSparrowMedia.com. That's Richard Se, uh, all lowercase, at BlackSparrowMedia.com. And with that, I guess we'll go ahead and uh, call it quits. We're about five minutes, a little over five minutes over now. So uh, until we see you uh, next week, y'all be careful out there. My sweet Melissa
slipping through my hands And I can hold it back Time keeps a slipping Slipping through my hands From my past I can't hide Without you by my side My sweet Melissa